לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Well, it's an appropriate day weather-wise to talk about the story of Noah. You know, isn't it interesting that the story of Noah is always during the season when it's raining, okay? It always <laughs> rains on Parshat Noah, okay? Uh, it happens to be pretty gray and eh, not too rainy today. The rainy season has started in Israel. Uh, and, uh, and oh, it starts are. next week. Well, it's seventh of Cheshvan. I've been listening to We're recording on Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. So, so, you know, and, and in the weather report in Israel, it's, you know, follow the weather in Israel. Just want to know how, what things are happening there. There's rain. There's rain already. Uh, and what a coincidence. And, I, you know, I wouldn't make much more of that than it's a coincidence, except for the fact that it's such an important motif in the story, obviously. Um, can you give us just... The, the the thumbnail summary of the story uh, and and what's going on here vis-a-vis creation vis-a-vis the undoing of creation and order chaos and these big things Barry I'm going to turn to you for the literary point of view so evidently things have taken a turn for the worse <laughs> with the passage of time and generations and I think I mentioned last week there's this wonderful irony that Lemech names Noah because he's the first named person after Adam who's born after Adam dies and now the curse on the earth will be lifted but what he doesn't know is that the whole world's going to be destroyed as a result um not as a result of the curse being lifted but it is something worth thinking about so God is upset with humanity he decides that um He's going to destroy everything. And he finds favor, or Noah finds favor in God's eyes. So Noah gets the divine plan, build a boat, get two or seven pairs of animals to populate your boat, take your children, their wives, your wife, and ride out the storm. And that's what he does. So, And it's curious because... Uh, you know, if you follow the chronology, and this part of Breshit is very detail-oriented with chronology. Um, we're going to get the begats in um, another series of begats in addition to Chapter 5 from last week's Parsha, which will tell us who was born and how old their father was and how old their father lived after the death of the birth. And, um, you know, the Noah is introduced to us at 500 years old, but the flood doesn't come for another 100 years. So presumably, it takes him a long time to build the boat. Wait, say that part again? He is introduced to us at 500 years old. Okay. And the flood comes when he's 600. 
So apparently it takes him 100 years to build the boat. Okay. So there's a question. What was he doing during that 100 years? Was Did he see himself as just the recipient of a divine message? Oh, it's good for me. At least I'll be safe. And the hell with you to everyone else who's alive. So, so he's he's quite an enigmatic figure, Noah. He, quite so. And 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 of course, we we get a little bit of of character development at the end. But the fact that he doesn't say anything and and doesn't protest and and really doesn't you know engage in any kind of conversation about the ark. I mean, it's you know God basically says in the story, you you take it this way. Uh, I'm going to make it out of gopher wood, the ark. Make it with uh, what kinim is bamboo or some kind of reeds. And, and coat it with pitch. In other words, waterproof it. Okay, And he gets the dimensions, 300 by 50 by 30. I always like to point out the fact that 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 those dimensions are quite odd for a it's a box for a for a seafaring vessel. It's not the you know the happy little you know boat that we see in in children's nurseries. It's quite a it has the dimensions of a coffin basically. It's the it's the the way that uh, humanity and and a specimen of you know sampling of Earth's life is moving out of one world. And going into another one reminds me of you know the Star Trek movie where they send Spock in a in a coffin, right? You know, he's sent out. I don't remember. I think it's number four. Anyway, um, and and he leaves one world and goes into the next world. And so here, there's there's literally all of all of life is being placed in a in a sarcophagus, and it's exiting the world through through water. Okay, and it's not an accident that this is water. This is the you know God creates by putting a ceiling <laughs> in this you know separating the water above from the water below and putting a floor right. And anyone who's ever experienced a, a flood in their basement, you know the, the 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 terror of the flood of the basement is the water's coming in from everywhere, right? Barry, you raise your hand. Well, so we uh, just had restoration people. We had a flood in our basement. Now it was mostly. Just a, a bad pipe, so water wasn't rising, but it completely saturated the rug and everything yeah. that was. It, it's a it's a um, frightening feeling, right? Yeah, oh, it's terrible. It's terrible, right? And of course, it leaves a terrible smell afterwards. Okay, so the point is that that everything is being dissolved. The 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 structures of creation are being dissolved. God has a, a particular uh, mo, which is I don't like things. I'm going to start over again. And and Noah, the only thing that we know of Noah is Sadiq Tamim Ayabadoratov. He was righteous in his generation. Could you talk for a second about what that means and, and the way that the rabbis develop this idea? Righteous in his generation, you know, compared to what? Compared to whom? And 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 what does that even mean? And and I'll, I'll turn back to you because you know we have the, the midrash about Abraham in our fingertips, I think. So So Rashi brings two different explanations. One is that had Noah lived in Abraham's generation, he would have been even superior to Abraham because it's exceedingly difficult if everyone is evil to 
withstand the peer pressure, number one, and number two, to do something positive. In other words, to be righteous. The alternate opinion is that, you know, if you're living in a generation that's all evil, you don't have to do all that much to stand out. And therefore, compared to Abraham, Noah is wanting. And the arresting image is that in the world of the blind, a one-eyed person sees far. Yeah. But the one-eyed person sees the same amount whether he's in the world of the blind or the world of the sighted. Right? So, it's only it's only our perspective. But I think that what I wanted to add is from a Jewish perspective, we want to see Abraham as being greater than Noah. And Abraham represents the particularist mission and Noah the universal mission because everyone in terms of the Bible is descended from it's Noah. Descended from Noah, right. So so um and so it's I, I think that logic perhaps or rational thought will lead many of us to think that perhaps Noah was more distinguished than Abraham. Because he had a lot more to overcome than Abraham did. I, I feel sorry for Noah. Uh, there's there's tremendous pathos for him. I mean, he's a no, nebbish. Is, is he? I mean, uh, well, I just to pick up on something you said. He is totally disengaged. And you know, we were talking before the show about the curious incident after the flood, where Noah talk about yeah drinks wine and gets drunk and the whole that you know yeah yeah but. but What's so interesting is that the plain meaning of the text suggests that even then he was disengaged. So, so is God making a, a bad choice here, or is that the only thing that he has to choose from? I mean, and it's like when the when when you you know you don't have much talent, you don't you know you don't get an Abraham in every generation, I guess. Well, the artist has to work with the tools that he has okay and one of my late teachers byron sherwin wrote an article many many years ago about this and the generation of the tower of babel which he, which he called the portrait of god as a young artist uh-huh. and you know god doesn't necessarily come off so well here this is not the kind of god that we imagine is the one we want running the universe Okay, I mean, I, I I have a lot of sympathy for God also because God has total desire for everything to turn out well and things are right. But He well. created it, he so created another it. way, He's responsible. Yes, but 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 He creates it with one condition or one ingredient, which is human freedom. That's so important to God, and and it's not God's fault. I am sorry. I, I, I take issue. You know, I want to defend God here, even though God obviously. I know, Jeremy, help me out. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the I mean, I think that very, very often, and this this is an example, the Bible stories are are like tragedies, and by tragedy, I mean uh, that it, it's not it's not a very clear you know path. What's good? What's bad? You can you can say, I mean, obviously, one should say that that uh, God is a frustrated artist here in this passage, Create, created the world, gave it freedom. We talked about this last week, that you tov, tov, tov on the first days, but by, by the end of the first parasha, the first parasha of, of Genesis, it's it's that uh, that people are just, you know, ra, 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 kol hayom, they're bad, 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 bad. And uh, and Noah is, the, Noah is the glimmer of hope. 
So I'm actually inclined to think that the Bible, yes, I think that the rabbinic interpreters are inclined to say that Noah is a failed version of Abraham. And the stories, uh, as, as you guys were relating, the stories of Abraham, who when Sodom, which mightily deserves punishment, uh, you know, God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Abraham's like, no, 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 wait a second, slow down there. What is, isn't there an alternative? And Noah doesn't, doesn't seem to think that. He seems to just... Okay, I'm obedient. Noah, Noah seems obedient without having any kind of personal grace. Now, that said, I do think that the glimmer of hope that 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 his father named him Noah because he will bring comfort to, to a suffering world, I do think that that's a big, gigantic round of applause for Noah. And I do think that obedience in you know obedience to god in a uh, in a terrible world is not nothing so what is the comfort that he brings so is it that he gets on the ark with all the animals and allows the original flawed creation to continue gives it a second gives it a second chance yeah i mean you we talked about you know elliot said the, the creation and the undoing of creation which is, is certainly correct i just want to call attention to a very very small little verse Chapter 7, verse 10, it's starting to rain, and it says, yeah. And it was on the seventh day that yeah. the flood broke out, the flood waters broke out on earth. You, like, you, 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 you can't get a, a better affirmation that the creation of the world has been undone and must get redone. And then that, that passage continues on and says, Bishnat uh, so was in the 600th year of his life on the in the second uh, month on the 17th day of that month the 17th day of year uh, we usually talk about rain and this this whole Noah passage seems to tell two stories. One is just a lot of rain. But in that verse I just read, the fountains of the deep broke, and the and the windows of heaven were poured open. You get the sense not only of a lot of rain, but as, as you alluded to before, the entire, you know, the entire creation just dissolves. What's below won't stay below. What's above won't stay above, and it just washes all away. You know the the, the beautiful midrash about the seven days that that it's not about creation. It's like God sitting shiva, right? uh-huh. and there's 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 the sense you know that even in the seven days that the, the possibility of repentance, the possibility of tshuva, which is such a remarkable rabbinic layering to the story, which you know obviously imposes a whole rabbinic theology that that even still even at the last moment you know you can possibly uh, repent and turn turn things around. But I, 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 you know, having having stated, you know, what happens. Let's let's take a moment. Actually, let me say one thing. This this now this conversation is making me see. You know, what is Noah? Where is his failing? What is Abraham? What is his successor? What are his failings? We've we've mentioned this before in many contexts. Prophets, the biblical prophet. Biblical prophet does a bunch of things. Sometimes they do miracles. Sometimes they, you know, Eliyahu Anabi is, is a miracle worker more than a teacher. And and sometimes they're poets. But one of the main functions, and our our great uh, teacher, Yochanan Mops, said the prophet is the immediate, immediate figure representing the people before God and representing God before the people. 
and arguing on behalf, arguing on God's point of view for you know, to the people and arguing on behalf of the people towards God to uh, avert divine disaster. Okay, what, what I think you can say is that Abraham in the Sodom story is portrayed as a prophet in this respect. I have to, I have to advocate for us poor, humble human beings, you know, because Zachor Kiafar and Achnul, you know, we're just, we're, we're like dust. And what Noah is, whatever his goodness or badness, whatever his moral, you know, backbone was in a bad society, what he is not is a prophet. He's not the guy who is going to say to people, you know, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown or, or you know, you're, you're selling the righteous for a pair of shoes. Uh, he doesn't do any of that, but he is obedient and that's not nothing. Okay, so so I want to talk about Noah. Just hold it for a second. I just want to go into into the detail of the story, which is, I think, quite remarkable in the way that the, the story is narrated from this point on. And that is that at almost every single major point, we get a timestamp uh, for for the story. So uh, you, you just quoted the verse, that, that uh, which is uh, chapter 7, Verse eleven, Bishnat Shesh Shana, in the six hundredth year of his life, in the second month on the seventeenth day, on that day all heavens broke forth. And so we get timestamps uh for you know when the rain the rain lasts for forty days, the the the, the flood is on the earth hundred and fifty days. Um it's on this day that they land on Mount Ararat, it's on this day that uh, Noah pulls the lid off. It's on this day that they they go out. In other words, every significant moment, and, and the raven and the, the the dove as well. Every single moment in the story is is uh, articulated by time. I asked this question with my class this week, and and it, it's still it's still with me. Um, what's the function of of time in the story? And what what function does telling time do? What is the perception of time? And maybe the the, the deeper question is. How does someone perceive time in the midst of 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 crisis or intense moments? You know, you, and I, I give the example of people who who experience a loss, and when their world is shattered, you know, they they really don't have a sense of time. Uh, you have to remind someone who's sitting shiva what day it is, basically. Um, and people who go through, you know, major catastrophes. Uh, I think they struggle with keeping time and they very, very much want to keep time. And that it's something that, that I want to be sensitive to. And maybe I don't understand fully in, in the sense that, you know, the experience of people, let's say people in prison or people cooped up in a certain way. There's a, that amazing um, documentary uh, of survivors in the Holocaust who these were, these were people who stayed in a cave. This, the, 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 the film is called No Place on Earth. And, the question is how how do you perceive time in complete total darkness? And so I have, you have, I have, a, yeah. I have a small I have a small Shoah story by the way, which Go ahead. Uh, it's not not so small story, but um, uh, I told it this year on the holidays that there there was a, a case. The woman relates, you know, there was in this barracks and it was divided between Jewish and non-Jewish prisoners. They didn't get along so well. Uh, and one day there everybody's coming back into the barracks after the day of work. And everybody's getting, you know, their usual ration of food. And and for what I don't exactly know how this happens, they give out candles. And she says, What's what's with the candles? And they say, Well, tonight's Kol Nidre. And and so that day, the Jewish women lit their candles, did not eat their food. After everything that they are in, they did not eat their food. 
And the writer says that, you know, in the camps, people were ravenous wolves, people, strong people, relatively stronger people would snatch the food away from relatively weaker people. It was just, it was dog eats dog. And that day, the non-Jewish people in the barracks um, left soup in the bowls for the Jewish women for when they ended their fast. And when you just say that story, um, and there were some other elements of nice wishes and stuff, but when you say that story, you realize that marking time um, is a empowering affirmation that certain moments have meaning and make things special. And and it is a liberation from prison to know that today is Shabbos, it's not Tuesday. I, I think that that's really part of the, the story here is that is that the the narrator is narrating from a perspective of of, of freedom, and and is is superimposing on the story a structure that is the ordering structure of the of the world, which is that, so, that, that that in this moment of chaos where all hell is breaking loose, uh, there's still a notion of time, and 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 I find that to be a it's a kind of I don't know if it's a an irony or if there's if there's a tongue-in-cheek here if it's cheeky if it's humor or whatever or you know or a paradox you, know, you can read it on so many different levels that that there's somebody telling time i'm noah's not telling time. how do they tell time that it's completely dark out which is another facet of the story which is but but the, there's actually a, a profundity to the story so when we think of the world of creation from parashat Breshit from last week the tohu vavohu encompasses time as well. Time isn't established until the first day. It's the first mark of time. In Noah's world, we often, or sometimes at least, think of the world being recreated with Noah, but it's not recreated, it's repopulated. Because the world is going to remain the same as it did before the flood. And I think the, the, the paradox is that time is a fundamental force or unit of the universe but it is the appreciation of time as far as we know is distinctly a human thing right and and so and humans mark time humans mark time and, he and has, the sig one last thought that yeah, the significance of time is not that it passes but that we mark it okay because it passes for everyone it just it just begs it 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 he says, Jershuni. begs what? He begs the question. I, I got criticized for say, using that expression. I use it wrongly. The, the, the point is that, that somebody's marking time here, and, and the normal cues for marking time are not available to him because at least my assumption is that, you know, based on our own human experience of being, you know, around in deluges and flooding rain, uh, you cannot see the sun, okay? And the sun is the marker of time. The sunrise and sunset is the day. Right, and, and the at sun... the end of the flood, no, it doesn't want to see the sun either. Exactly. <laughs> but, the, but that's the, a different story. The sun is conspicuously absent from the story. The S-U-N is is absent from the story. And and I'm just going to put it out there, I think, for, for polemical reasons, because the sun is a deity in antiquity, and, and the early part of Breshit doesn't want to have anything to do with the sun. The sun is not even mentioned in, in creation. It's Ma'or HaGadol, because they don't want to give the the word Shemesh, which is a, a, a name of deity, uh, any, any place 
within within the 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 early stories um and and so he has no way to tell time uh and yet time is being kept here yeah right but what i would say barry Barry, you said that the um you know there's really only humans who mark time I, i i actually would differ with you on this one because i think that the that the claim of the torah is that time is inherent um and it's not a human convention I mean, there, there is a wonderful rabbinic passage in which there's a, a debate. If you get lost in the desert, you don't know when Shabbat is. Nice. Do you mark the mark the next day as Shabbat, just arbitrarily because you got no choice? Like Adam, Adam is born on the sixth day, then the next day is Shabbat. Or do you mark it like God, like you count six more days and then mark the seventh as Shabbat, which that is an arbitrary conventional quality to Shabbat. But I would say that the especially Genesis, but certainly the other books as well, treat um, special moments as like inherently so. Shabbat is inherently Shabbat, even if you miss it. And the capstone, you know, when Noah, after the flood, offers the sacrifice and uh, God says, oh, you know, that, they're really not so bad after all. Um, I'm, I'm the God actually kind of like Noah gets a little drunk. Uh, on the smell of the sacrifices, they're not so bad. I'm not going to curse them anymore. Um, and then uh, all the time there's on the earth, um, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, uh, will summer and winter, day and night will not cease. Lo yishbotu, they won't, they won't stop or cease. Uh, that means that time in its fixity is going to continue undisrupted. And so that, I think, means that it's time from God's perspective or the natural time that is not just human arbitrary convention. We have, we all just got done. Maybe our, our listeners will enjoy this, this small observation. You know, the, the, um, in your Amidah, you dive and you say, Shabbat, you know, blessed is God who sanctifies Shabbat, because Shabbat happens on God's calendar. But these holidays that we've just ended, uh, you know, Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and, and, uh, and Sukkot, uh, it's Mekadesh Yisrael Bahazmanim because Israel is the human conventionality that has the Beit Din has to declare the new month. Now, of course, we know that it is astronomical, and at a certain point in history, they knew that too. But the, early on, there was eyewitnessing. So when Yisrael pronounced the new month, then the holidays were contingent upon the human uh, social definition of time. So both of them are necessary. But I, I don't think that the Bible, and I don't think that Judaism, broadly speaking, thinks the time is just our, our arbitrary convention. Not I think at all. No, no, it's not that time is arbitrary, but what gives time meaning is human beings. I don't imagine that animals keep track of time. You know, my dog doesn't wake up on the 10th of Tishrei and say, it's Yom Kippur, I'm not going to eat today. You'll have to work on your dog there. <laughs> no, the you know, there are always jokes about the guy who... Think, think about the odds we're going to get for Yom Kippur, right? <laughs> the joke about the guy who says, I can teach my dog to say Shema Yisrael. Exactly. Well, okay, so I, I would say as a kind of, you know, coda here that that time functions in this story as an ordering frame so that we, we understand that there is a, a, a governing hand to, to uh, you know, that is imposing itself on all the chaos. That, that right, time- it's making a comment about yes. the world. In exactly. other words, this is not the world of Tohu and Bohu. Exactly. That we exactly. knew before creation. Right. This is a different kind of world. This is our right. world. And right. I just want to add one last thing, right. Elliot, that 
the whoever tells the story got or some narrator some some documentary hypothesis they're telling the story for us not for noah yes the time is for us because we need to find meaning in it not what noah was necessarily aware of himself all right so so we don't have a lot of time to talk about i guess the most troubling aspect of the story is that when you know after the sacrifices that that noah after god's promise uh what does it say no it says that that noah basically plants a vineyard he drinks the wine he gets drunk vayitgal betoch ohalo i i i'm translating vayitgal as he kind of somersaults rolls over he's like like all he's he's you know just naked he's naked in his tent okay and it's at that point that ham the father of canaan sees his father's nakedness it's at that point that Ham tells the other brothers, and the other brothers, Shem and Yafet, take a garment, they walk backwards, they cover their father's nakedness without looking at their father's nakedness. He wakes up from his drunken stupor, he understands what his young son uh, Ham did, and he curses the son of, of Ham, who is Canaan. It's a troubling story, and and... You know, I, 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 we're all very sensitive here to to issues of propriety, nakedness, sexuality, etc. Um, so, there's just can we feel a little bit of of empathy for Noah? There's there's so there's so much going on in this passage uh, that even in rabbinic times, like it it is dense, dense, dense with. Uh, interpretive possibilities. So even in rabbinic times, um, they debated whether or not this is a story as Sodom Amorah, as the Simon Gomorrah story will be, of, of, of homosexual rape um, between the son and and Noah. There's a castration interpretation that what the what the uh, wicked son had done was to castrate him which would be a rebellion against the affirmative life, life affirming, life continuing possibilities of reproduction, which is, after all, the whole point of this story. He is, it might mean, as you alluded to, he he rolled over. He's like rolling drunk, rolling on the floor. It might mean that he is naked and revealed, which could simply be a description of his clothlessness. It might be that he is having sex because in his tent, in rabbinic Hebrew idioms, it could read that he was in his wife, uh, that they were actually having sex at that moment. All those things are possible. By the way, Vayitgal could also mean the, the word gila. He was rejoicing. There's lots and lots and lots of rabbinic, of, of interpretive possibilities here. It's part of the greatness of the story that not you can't say about one of them, oh yeah, that's the obviously correct semantic reading it's, it's not possible so so this the, you, you you could argue you know all of these i guess what what i mean pick one <laughs> what what where, so, where do you want to go okay. with i, mean, I think that here? sometimes we let our minds run free and we need to pay a little more attention to what the text actually says sometimes the text doesn't say something because it's not interested and sometimes it wants to make a point by not saying something. But I think here the issue from a textual point of view, we've all been in situations where we saw something we didn't want to see. The question is, 
once that happens, what do we do? So in the situation that's described in the Torah, it would seem that Ham's proper response would be to cover his father in some way. Whatever he was doing, he had seen something he shouldn't have seen, and he should close himself off for that. But what does he do? He goes outside and tells his brothers, which I don't think one can understand as anything other than making fun of his father. Right? He's not going out to tell his brothers, oh, look, poor dad, what should we do? It's that our father is the... Can you believe it? He's a drunken he's, idiot. He's a drunken idiot and naked in his tent. I can't believe it. Like, and 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 laughter and and so you know, there's. I think upon recognition that that he was seen and exactly how that recognition uh, on Noah's part is not really explained, but somehow Noah discovers that he was discovered. And well, because he's covered. He's covered. Okay, well, so maybe that, he was so. He's he's the humiliation, the humiliation of this man, and and what it must have been. If even if he was with his wife, and if he wasn't with his wife, and if it was some kind of incest or some worse, the humiliation is is beyond expression. I think. I think that this the story goes with the Adam and Eve story in in that. You know, they were naked and unashamed. Then some experience happens and, and crowds out the innocence, and then they were ashamed. And so now this story comes even, even more full that nakedness, sexual vulnerability, sexual capacities, whatever we want to say about it, um, is a source of shame. And it's like uh, we, we don't have a sense of uh, original sin in the Christian way, but we do have a sense of human decline that we're the you know we got we're worse for the wear after some of the experiences that happened to us and i think that's true here too wow i it, it's it's it we're gonna have to leave the story there because we don't have time it's just um i think it leaves it leaves so many so many unanswered questions we can't leave on that note the, the i think noah the the parsha gives us the picture of humanity i love commenting on the fact that the, the tenth chapter or, or, uh, of uh, of Noah of of, the, of Breshit tells us the family of of all of humanity, and we can't help but but think that the Bible has a very very interesting way of projecting uh, the the relationship of uh, human beings to one another. That is, it it projects the idea of family onto all of human civilization. I think that's one of the great great insights of of the bible and one of its great gifts to to all humanity that we're 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 one big family descending from noah and it ends up that uh you know just like noah gives comfort we we the parsha ends with mentioning the name of avram uh and telling us a little bit about him and 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 this is going to lead us to to next week when we encounter this extraordinary human being i can't say enough about Avram is there's something unusual about him, something great about him. But we'll have to leave it for next week because we're out of time here on this edition of Parsha. I want to thank our viewers and our listeners. Keep your comments coming in to Barry Chesler's Facebook. Ache Chesed, you have a Facebook also, and my YouTube channel, and anywhere you get this, send us a comment, send us an email. Ask us a question. We will attempt to make. We will make a picture. Exactly. We will make it up with whatever the question is. We will make up something with our data. 
Anytime. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.